I want to thank all of you who are here this morning for joining us. I know we have a lot of guests, and we especially welcome you. And a lot of you are watching online, and we welcome you. And if you're going to be in the Metroplex area on Christmas Eve, I hope you'll join us 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, I've always loved the Christmas season. That's always been a favorite for me for years and years, going back to when I was a child. Actually, what was special about Christmas when I was a child is that we actually had three Christmases. Uh, We would have a Christmas with my immediate family. And then we would go, and on Christmas Eve, we would share a Christmas time with my father's parents, my grandma and grandpa, actually. And then on Christmas Day, we'd drive down to the central Texas area, usually Belton, Salado, Temple, wherever my mom's parents were living at the time, and we'd have a Christmas there. And as a child, uh, we all shared a common understanding, and that is that Christmas should be fair. Now, what that meant was, as soon as we rushed into Grandma's house, we all ran to the tree, all the cousins, to see if we all got the same number of presents. Because if there were three presents to my brother, there should be three to me. If there were three to my cousin, there should be three to me. Now, we weren't smart enough to figure out that two presents at $25 a piece was a lot better than three presents at $5 a piece. We just wanted there to be the same number of presents because everyone knows Christmas is supposed to be fair. But you see, for years, I had to harbor a dark Christmas secret that I was my grandma's favorite. (laughs) Now, that should be pretty obvious, but it wasn't to my denser cousins and brother. But the way I knew I was my grandma Ashley's favorite, they were very poor people. They didn't have much. In fact, my grandfather, for the last years of his life, ran a Texaco station, and whatever the Texaco toy of the year was, was our present under the tree. But, Grandma had this end table and a little glass jar. And inside that jar every year was that curly kind of Christmas candy you can't hardly find anymore. Because she knew I liked it. And so every Christmas Eve, at some point, Grandma would look at me and she'd put her head over to the table and she would nod and wink. And I knew what that meant. You're my favorite. Because that jar was always there just for me. You see, we think and we preach a fair Christmas message. After all, didn't the angels say that night when a pasture became a cathedral, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people. How fair is that? But how do you reconcile that with their song? Now, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Well, just on whom does God's favor rest. Uh, For that matter, what is God's favor? 
You know, I, I've done some preaching in the past on the concept of God's glory, and I've talked a lot about God's peace, but it dawned on me as I looked at this song, I had never really done a study of God's favor. And the thing is, there is no inspired glossary at the back of the Bible explaining important biblical terms. And so what I did some weeks ago is I just took a whole day and I started in Genesis and I just read every verse in the Bible that talks about favor. And I wrote it down and I just started studying the verses, seeing if I could find some impressions, some conclusions. And I came to one very strong impression that at first bothered me just a little bit and it's simple. God plays favorites. He really does. Let me explain. I came to the conclusion that the concept of favor in the Bible has two basic components. One is that favor is exceptional kindness. In other words, it's, it's kindness beyond what is due or usual or expected. And it is exceptional kindness to someone in comparison to someone else. Now, let me give you an example. There's a small little book in the Old Testament called Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's not a part of the people of God. But she marries a man who was when their family moved to her country for a time. Then her husband dies and her father-in-law dies. And she comes back to the land of promise with her mother-in-law Naomi. They're very poor people. In those days, life was hard when there was not a man in the house. And so Naomi says to Ruth what only poor people knew to do. Go and glean. Go to the fields and just get from what's left on the ground that you can find for us to eat. And so she does. Now remember, it's bad being poor. It's really bad being a poor foreigner. But when she gets to the field, this man who owns it named Boaz notices her. And he instructs his workers to be exceptionally kind to her. In fact, to be more kind to her than all the other women in the field. And to treat her well. And Ruth notices and she says, What have I done to deserve such favor? Since I'm a foreigner. In other words, why are you showing me such exceptional Kindness in comparison to all the others around me. That's the idea of the word. And God does this a lot. It may make you uncomfortable, but God gives preferential treatment in the Bible. This starts early. Genesis chapter 4, it says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering. But he didn't look with favor on Cain's. Two chapters later, it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's pretty clear that Noah's contemporaries did not. And you read all through the Old Testament special examples. It says that Moses sought the favor of the Lord, that Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord, or that David enjoyed God's favor. And the final thing I noticed is that God's favor isn't bestowed randomly, but it is a blessing for living righteously. 
In other words, God just doesn't capriciously pick somebody to play a favorite with. But God is exceptionally favorable in his blessing to righteous people. So, for example, Psalm chapter 5, verse 12. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Or Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. This concept carries over into the New Testament. You remember Peter is preaching in the house of Cornelius. And that's a big thing because Jews don't go inside Gentile homes. But the Spirit has led him to do this. And the Spirit is so frustrated with Peter getting to the point, the Spirit interrupts Peter's sermon and just baptizes the people in the Spirit. And Peter gets the point and he says, oh, now I get it. He says, now I realize how true it is. God does not show favoritism. Now keep reading though. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Okay. I hope you're feeling the tension here. If God's favor only rests on the righteous, well, how is this good news for all people? Because the Bible is pretty clear, no one's righteous. No, not one. Back to the Old Testament. The prophets would talk about a future day. Now, they would often do it in the context of the return of Israel from exile. But they would paint a grander picture of a bigger restoration of all things. They would talk about a day that's coming, going to be ushered in when Messiah comes. And they would call it the time of the Lord's favor. Like Isaiah 49, 8, this is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. And so the people waited. They waited for the time of God's favor. And they waited. And they waited. And for hundreds of years, nothing. It was almost as if the promise was out of favor. And then one night, an angel appears to a young virgin in a sleepy little town called Nazareth. And here's what he says. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. See, I don't think it's a coincidence that he used that word. The time had come for God To return the favor. And so she gives birth to this boy. And a little later in the same story it says he grew. He grew in wisdom and he grew in stature. And he grew in favor. With God. And with men. 
And there came time for him to announce publicly why he had come. He was led into the wilderness for a short time to be tempted of the devil. And after that, he goes to church to publicly announce his ministry. And I want you to read in Luke 4 what happens. It says that he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. Now on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. By the way, if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, how about start going to church all the time? Be like Jesus. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. Now, let me just stop. Jesus often quoted scripture, but only one time in the Bible do we have an example where he was handed scripture. And he personally picked a spot to read. Now, this is pretty important. His first sermon, his first public announcement, and this is the scripture he personally chose to preach on. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, I have been anointed by the Holy Spirit to announce favor. Especially to people on margins, especially to people who've been overlooked, especially to people who feel burdened and oppressed. I have come anointed by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the Lord's favor. Now again, what about the tension that favor is only for the righteous and no one? Is righteous. No, not one. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, someone's got to be a reconciler, don't they? Because remember, right after the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people, he said, For unto you this day a Savior has been born. You see, only a Savior can proclaim favor. Don't you want the favor of God? But Amos couldn't preach us into the favor of God. Moses couldn't write enough laws to legislate us there. And Miriam couldn't dance us there. And David couldn't write enough songs to worship us there. Jeremiah couldn't cry enough tears to weep us there. And Daniel couldn't pray enough prayers to pray us there. Aaron couldn't offer enough sacrifices to place us in the favor of God. Now, this is so 
counterintuitive to typical religious thinking. Because religion, any religion, every religion, teaches what you must do to earn the favor of God. But what the angels announced was what God was going to do to rest His favor on men. Because remember, only a blameless person can enjoy the favor of God. And we're not blameless. Every one of us is infected with the sin nature we inherited from our father Adam. And so at Bethlehem, a second Adam was born. Fully God, fully man. And so fully susceptible to every single temptation you and I struggle with. And yet he will never once step outside the will of God. He is born under the law. But the law is not going to be able to lay a single charge against him. He is going to walk blamelessly. But no matter how well he walks... It does not favor us if his walk never takes him to the place where he can take our place. And so notice the words the Hebrew writer puts in the mouth of Jesus just before he became an embryo in a virgin's womb. Therefore, When Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, my God. And then he interprets what that means. And by that will, we've been made holy. Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's very significant. When I was studying all those verses on favor. And I read that Isaiah 61 passage that Jesus quoted as his very first sermon. Jesus stopped the reading in the middle of a sentence. He said, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped reading. Because the rest of the sentence says, And the day of the vengeance of our God. Why did he stop there? Because Jesus didn't come to proclaim judgment. He came to claim our judgment. As his own. He came to experience our hell. So we could experience his heaven. It's a profound mystery. It's the ultimate Christmas 
mystery. And Paul sums it up in one sentence in 2 Corinthians. God made him. Now this is why he needed a body. Who had no sin. To be sin for us. So that in him. We might become the righteousness of God. Now remember. Who receives the favor of God? The righteous do. See, Christmas has changed the way God looks at us. He doesn't see our sin. Because we are now hidden in Christ. And He sees the righteousness of the second Adam. And so if Christmas has changed the way God looks at us. Shouldn't it change the way we look at ourselves? I love the story I saw in this little Christmas uh, version of Chicken Soup for the Soul. There's this family that lives outside of D.C. called the Pals. And they had a little girl named Jessica. Now, they were members of a Catholic parish there. And it was their tradition every year in the Christmas season for the children to put on a Christmas play with the nativity scene. And the children, uh, as little ones, were allowed to be the sheep and the donkeys and the shepherds. But as they got older, they got bigger parts. And sixth graders got the big parts of Joseph and Mary. Now, little Jessica, ever since she's a little girl, she wants to be Mary. And the nuns tell her, all the way back in third grade, if you do your schoolwork and you're a leader, you can be Mary when you're in the sixth grade. So it's her sixth grade year, and she's so excited And one evening, she overhears one of the nuns saying to Jessica's mother. See, Jessica had a growth spurt. And she was six inches taller than any boy in the class. And the nuns were concerned with such a big Mary. And was speaking to her mother about how that might not look well. And little Jessica overheard her. And she comes over to the nun and she says... Excuse me, but if it didn't matter to Joseph when he married Mary that she was pregnant, do you think it mattered that she was taller than him? (laughs) See, Christmas changes the way we look at people. Because in Christ now, in Jesus, we are favored. We're all favored. See, it's pretty clear that night when a pastor became a cathedral that the angels are announcing a new thing. Because let's face it, nobody in that day put shepherds on the most favored list. They were outcast. Their profession was despised. They couldn't even be witnesses in court. Nobody threw a big Christmas party and put shepherds on the invite list. And who are the very first people to hear the song that God's favor has come to rest on the earth? The guys who never got invited to the party. See, Christmas is announcing God's desire to do everyone a favor. It transcends culture and gender and ethnicity and any other barrier that keeps some off the most favored list. The very best Christmas verse is still the very best verse. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son. That, and by the way, this is the best word in the best verse. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we are all citizens of Whoville. Back in 1939, the Montgomery Ward Company was looking for a little poem to print and publish to hand to the children that came to sit on Santa's lap. And so they went to a uh, well-known advertising executive by the name of Robert May and asked him to write something, and he did, about a little reindeer with a funny nose. Within a few years, they'd given out six million copies of that poem. A few years later... His brother-in-law, a man named Johnny Marks, decided to put it to music. And they had this catchy little tune. They approached some people like Bing Crosby and Dinah Shore, who distanced from the silly little song. So somebody named Gene Autry said, I'll record it. It became the most popular and best-selling Christmas song in history. Why? Well, you could say, I love the pluckiness and the... Courage of Rudolph. That's more than that. The best stories are always about redemption. Rudolph is an outcast. He's exiled. He's a reject. Rudolph is defective. Until someone shows great favor. And his weakness actually becomes a strength in the accomplishment of a greater mission. And we're all Rudolph. God's favor is on you. I got to tell you, I loved it. I, I was wrestling with this sermon several weeks ago, wrestling with the idea of God playing favorites. And I was with my daughter, Morgan, in the car, and she was asking me what I'd been studying. So I told her, I said, did you know God plays favorites? And she said, duh, I am one. (laughs) And she gets it. And you shouldn't be embarrassed to say, hey, I'm one of God's favorites. And it's not because of you. It's because of who is in you. It's because the baby that's been born in Bethlehem has been born in you. You see, Christmas isn't fair. And trust me, you don't want fair. You want favor. Now, Advent simply means coming. At Christmas, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus. And we know that He is coming Again, And when he comes again, he will proclaim the day of the Lord's justice. But right now, we celebrate the season of the Lord's favor. Because Christmas is more than fair. And I think that's sweet. There's a better word than favor. It's a word we use all the time. It's grace. 
I think the best Christmas carol is Amazing Grace. And when John Newton, who wrote the song, was on his deathbed, he was visited by a young minister. And he said to him, I know because we're close that when you come to heaven, you're going to want to find me. And I can tell you where you'll find me. I'll be at the feet of the thief that Jesus saved when he was dying on the cross. Because he never lost the awe of a God that would play a favor of someone like him. And I hope you don't either. Because when it comes to the gospel of grace, man, I'm in favor of that. I bet you are too. So bow your head, please. So God, I, uh, I pray you will take this teaching this morning and you'll, you will use it to bless every hearer in just the way that they need to receive a blessing. For some, today is the day to let go of that haunting memory of a past sin and just bask in the truth that we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. For some, this is a call to announce this good news and to share it even, even this season with someone in their family or their neighborhood. And for some, God, I believe here in my voice, my voice right now, the Holy Spirit is inviting them to come to Jesus and receive the favor of God. And I pray, just like the wise men who wouldn't let anything keep them from getting to Jesus, they won't let anything stop them either. Thank you, God, for playing favorites. In Jesus' name, amen. I say again. The proclamation of the justice of God is coming. But right now, and we don't know how long it lasts, we are in the season of the proclamation of the favor of God. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians. This is what he says. In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. And then here's Paul's interpretation. I'm telling you, now... Is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do not waste now. Let's all stand up. We're going to have people down front so that you can right now come to Jesus Christ in the time of God's favor. Let's sing.